you familiar with Hallmark Channel's holiday movies, Christmas movies? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't watch them, but I am aware that they are quite the uh, distribution channel, if you will, for holiday movies. I thought it'd be interesting to just do a real quick quiz with you to figure out what would the name of your Hallmark holiday movie be, Reed, if you were to star in a Hallmark holiday movie. Are you ready? Let's do it. Do you believe in love at first sight? Not really. Would you say yes to someone who proposed to you via a jumbotron? I mean, you kind of have to, right? What's your ideal first date? Dinner and a movie. Pie or cake? Pie. What's the one thing you always have with you? A pen. This is the name of your Hallmark Christmas movie. You ready, Reed? All I want for Christmas is a prenup. Never considered a prenup, (laughs) but there you go. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. All right, welcome back to Touchpoint for yet another week. Merry Christmas, I guess, would be the appropriate greeting for episode 151. I am Santa Claus. That is an elf. (laughs) Yes, I'm the elf from Rudolph, right? The one that wants to (laughs) be a dentist? (laughs) Or am I the Will Ferrell elf? I'm not sure. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, maybe we should have uh, made this just about you know the best Christmas movies. But we actually have a really cool topic for today that's something a little bit different. You've probably noticed by the title in said episode that you've downloaded, but we do appreciate you tuning in. We couldn't do this without you. We appreciate the support each and every one of you brings to the show. The best thing you can do for us for the new year is to refer this to a friend. So we would uh, certainly appreciate that. You can send them over to touchpoint.health which is the website where they can learn a little bit more about this show and other ones like it. Let's take a brief pause here, and then we'll be back with uh, your Christmas Day episode of Touchpoint. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Well, I hope you uh, brought your eggnog. As you're sitting by the fire listening to Touchpoint. Today, it's going to be a different type of episode, as you mentioned. We're going to be talking about something that's a little bit more esoteric, not really necessarily about a social media tactic or strategy around how to do content or even technology itself, per se. But we're going to talk about something that is really around digital, digital marketing, even user centered design. One of the main purposes of embracing things like user-centered design, digital marketing, whatever, is to spur digital innovation. It absolutely is. And I mean, I think that is kind of our evolving world that we live in. And as we think about innovation, really what innovation means is achieving business results in new and creative ways and ways that really align with the needs of whatever our users may be, if they're patients or if they're employees. But a critical part of innovation is about embracing creativity and open mind thinking. So when I say open mind thinking, Reed, what what do you, what's, what comes to mind? Well, I guess maybe you limit the bias that you're bringing to the equation potentially. That's certainly a big part of it. As we 
typically try to do at the beginning of these episodes is we try to find definitions for some of the terms that we're talking about. I actually found a blog post that kind of outlined ways that they define creativity. And I thought, let's start first like talking about what actually creativity might be. Uh, one of the first things they say is, is that creativity is the act of turning new and imaginative ideas into reality. New and imaginative ideas into reality. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think about it through the lens of maybe more like from uh, an ho- a hobby standpoint, you know, building stuff, creating stuff, or maybe you hear it through the explanation of like kids, right? Like, oh, she is, she's super creative. And it is, it's usually associated with those that have that wide array of thinking and not limiting the thought process, I guess. Uh, And it's interesting that you use both of those examples, like you as an artist and also a child being creative. And let's kind of use those same lenses as we continue to try to define creativity. Another way to characterize creativity is having the ability to perceive the world in new ways, to find hidden patterns, to make connections between seemingly unrelated phenomena, and ultimately to generate solutions. Now, using that same lens of the artist or the child being creative, is that definition still hold together? I think so. I mean, you learn a lot. I mean, I know I've learned a lot from my kids. So you think about the idea of like hidden patterns or making the connection, like you mentioned, between, you know, what seemingly is unrelated. You know, I found myself surprised on a number of occasions thinking, oh, wow, okay, that's cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought to do it that way. Is I think to even create or build or paint or whatever I'm doing, I'm thinking about it through the lens of historical experiences. And I think kids, especially, I think about my daughter, who's very creative. You know, she's not bringing that bias to the equation. And so she may have different ideas or ways that, you know, things could be done uh, that I haven't thought about. Ultimately, by being creative or expressing yourself creativity, it could involve not only the thinking and the correlating and all of these things about finding patterns, but it's actually producing some kind of creative expression. As an artist, it might be a painting or it might be leather work like what you do. Or as your child, it might be the way she tells stories or even draws. I like the concept of having two processes of both thinking and then the process of producing. From my perspective, as, I, as we talk more and more of creativity, working within a hospital or health system as a digital marketer, there are a lot of times where creativity is not really encouraged in the workplace. It's not discouraged, I guess, but it's also not encouraged, I guess is maybe the best way to say it. Because you do have a lot of historical bias there around, we haven't done it that way before, that's not possible. So along those same lines, though, when you you think about innovation, is that different than creativity? The same blog post defines innovation as the implementation of a new or significantly improved product service or process that creates value for business, government, or society. So I don't think creativity necessarily always results in innovation, but when it does, it's focused on value. Yeah. So that's really where we want to get to, especially, you know, in our, in our roles and our jobs, right? Like the creativity piece is great, but there may not be an execution tied to that. This whole concept of being innovative or being an innovator, there was actually a whole book written about it by Clayton Christensen called The Innovator's DNA. Familiar with that book? I'm not. That sounds interesting, though. It's all about the way that innovators are. And it actually goes through and outlines and highlights five key behaviors that optimize innovators' brains for discovery. And not surprisingly, many of these key behaviors are creative in nature. So the first one that they call out here uh, is associating. So drawing connections. We talked about that a little bit in creativity even, but drawing connections between questions, problems, ideas from, they say unrelated fields, but maybe it's just seemingly unrelated, I guess, in a lot of cases. In healthcare, we do that a lot. We keep an eye out to see what's happening in maybe what Amazon is doing or what consumer packaged goods are doing or what other industries are doing. I know in my space, I don't like to bench myself against other health systems per se. I like to bench myself against other organizations that are doing digital efforts just to see if I can find new ideas. I think that's one of the reasons why we go to conferences too, right? It is. And I think that's one of the reasons probably I like South by Southwest so much. There's a very real reason that I enjoy going to HMPS and Shishmed and HCIC, even HIMSS, things like that, you know, industry type 
conferences. I wouldn't trade those for the world. But then I think there's also a great balance with going to South by Southwest and not seeing the health stuff. Going and seeing things in hospitality or sports or these other verticals that may be kind of analogous to the things that we do because it allows me to associate or look at in hospitality, for example, they don't have patients, but they have guests and guest experience is a big deal. And a lot of those organizations do that really well. So there's a way to associate a lot of the elements that they're doing and saying, OK, well, how, what, what would that look like you know, inside the walls of a hospital or website of a hospital? The second key behavior is questioning or posing queries that challenge common wisdom. You and I are doing podcasting for so many years. We are pretty good at posing questions, right? And asking questions, but really questions that challenge the common way of doing things. That's the, the important distinction here. Not to necessarily understand better, it's to actually question if that's the right way to do things. Or as a lot of leaders put it, being problematic. <laughs> Being difficult. <laughs> no, I do think that's where a lot of this starts, right? It's saying, is there a better way to do this? Is there a different way that we can try this? Is there a more cost-effective way? Is there a more efficient way? Uh, you know, whatever the scenario is, I, I think those are all great questions to ask. Our buddy Nick Dawson does a lot of that day-to-day in some of those lab-based, you know, working environments that he's been involved at at Kaiser and Hopkins and different places, so... The third one here, uh, observing, so scrutinizing the behavior of customers, suppliers, competitors uh, to identify new ways of doing things. Again, being difficult. No, but again, looking at, and this is where, you know, we've historically, this is where like customer journey mapping fits in. And a lot of research that we do, any kind of market research that we do or where we start to look and observe things. It's not only looking at customer journeys, but it could also be looking at how shifts in the industry or trends in the industry Really, the whole point here is to find those connections, those hidden patterns, right? The creativity aspect of observing what's happening in the industry. The fourth characteristic is around networking. And this is an interesting one where you meet people with different ideas and perspectives. I don't know about you, but I love to network. I love to meet other people with different ideas and learn from them and ask them questions and try to, in my mind, associate some of the things that they do from a different walk of life and how that applies to what I do. I think the common networking everybody thinks of is like within the industry, right? So I think that's a, I think that's a great example. Uh, the final one here, experimenting. So conducting interactive experiences, provoking unorthodox responses, and seeing what insights might just emerge. So putting something into practice, you know, we may call this in healthcare a pilot or, you know, whatever, but, you know, actually putting some things into practice, trying some things out. And again, this is where I think Think, you know, especially in social media and some of these you know, SaaS based products that it's not terribly cost prohibitive to toy around with. It's worth our time and effort, right? Whether it's TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. I'm not saying you need to use it as an organization. What I'm saying is, is you need to experiment with it, try it out, figure out what the value proposition is before deciding if you're going to use it. So, I mean, that's kind of taking some of this stuff uh, into practicality. If you could start to harness that sort of innovation, that really allows you to start to develop things that create more value. I think that everything that we do is a bit of a hypothesis. If we could start training ourselves, so to speak, to be a little bit more creative and be innovative, that will actually allow us to be more effective, which leads us naturally to open-mindedness or having an open-mind thinking perspective. And I found another article that's called Connecting the Dots, link, The Link Between Innovation and Open-Mindedness. A lot of the things they put forth in this article uh, come from scientific studies. So they start off by saying that Walt Disney once said that if you can imagine it, you can create it. Well, that's convenient. If you can imagine it, can create it. The quote's only getting used because it is Walt Disney. You know, it's kind of like a hindsight's 2020 <laughs> kind of thing. Anyway, so obviously he he made that work, right? And in Anybody that's ever been to Orlando or, or even, you know, California, maybe not so much Euro Disney, but the other ones specifically, you know, you kind of see that play out. You want that to be true in all cases, especially for kids, right? You try to drive that point home. 
the challenge is, is getting your mind set up to be creative enough to be able to do that and not fear failures. Another, here's another great quote from Socrates. We went from Walt Disney to Socrates. How do you feel about that? Oh boy. Socrates said that true knowledge exists in knowing that you know nothing. What? Does that even mean anything? I'm not even sure. <laughs> you may have just made that up. I don't know. Like, I feel like Socrates got part of the way through his life and it was like, this is amazing. Like, I can just say random stuff and people just like take me at my word and think it's amazing. I guess what we're getting at here is open-mindedness, right? The whole concept of open-mindedness, which really is the quality that allows individuals to in- entertain various ideas, even ones that might be contradictory to your own initial belief, and deliberate them to arrive at some kind of truth that allows you to to think about things a little bit differently. Totally impossible this day and age. Can't do that. <laughs> well, you certainly can't do it on Facebook. No, that's for not sure. on Twitter. Uh-uh. Nope. Can't do it. That <laughs> is impossible. Uh, that's a good way to get associated with a hashtag right there. <laughs> But the, but the point being, though, is that, uh, you know, you hope everybody is in at least in this state of mind to some degree. Right. Because otherwise there's no way to advance the ball. People are not open to what the possibility could be. Then it's going to be really hard to sell that concept, which kind of goes back to some of the things we were talking about earlier with the experimenting and questioning, observing, you know, et cetera. You've got to, you got to hope at least. And I think good leaders are uh, in that state of mind. Yeah, they have to be. And this whole concept of being open-minded and having this framework of being able to accept different points of view is substantiated by science. There was a study, and we'll link to it in the show notes, that examined what makes people more open-minded. And they found that open-minded people are open to all sources and all different types of information. But you have to have a deliberative mind and change your thinking pattern in order to affect your ability to think differently and the way you process information. So now we're getting a little deep here. How do you feel about this? So it's deliberate. It's not just, you know, I just am by nature. I mean, I get, can you not be open-minded by nature? I suppose you could. And I think that most children are right. And then they're taught not to be, I suppose. (laughs) Then they're learned right (laughs) out of it. Yeah. I, you know, they've also got a point in here. I notice it says open-mindedness not only enhances work and memory, uh, working memory, but people who displayed a deliberative mindset were better at focusing on selecting information that's pertinent to the goal or task at hand. I think the secret here is an open mindset or an open-mindedness mindset. And what we could do is after the break, we'll come back and we'll talk about how you could start to build that open-mindedness. So go pour that eggnog, and we'll be right back. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. All right. So before the eggnog break, we talked a little bit about uh, what is open-mindedness. Now we're talking about that last little part actually that we referenced about being deliberate. Well, that's what we're going to talk about now, right? Like how to actually put this into practice and become more open-minded. See, more open-minded. So does that mean you're on the spectrum of open-mindedness at all times? I think we're always on the spectrum of open-mindedness, aren't we? At at certain times, we can be more open-minded than others. We do, as people, we prefer to hang out with people who are like-minded. That's, again, another study that was shown. But we think differently. I'm referring to this article where they say our brain thinks in whole ideas. Whole ideas are called schema. Oh, man. Now, that's a digital term, schema. I immediately turned towards the whiteboard when you said that for some reason. I don't know. It just like made me pivot in my chair. So the schema, though, it, it includes our life experiences, beliefs, social reinforcements, psychological reactions. 
to visualize the schema, you know, they, they talk about, think about like a Venn diagram, right? The overlapping circles, whatever. So when new information comes into our consciousness, we have to either have to fit it in our existing schema or adjust our uh, existing schema to fit the new information. Ooh, I'm, I'm glad you were looking at the whiteboard there. Yeah. Because <laughs> now we got to draw Venn yeah, diagrams. Yeah, i got to draw this out. Uh-huh. Maybe set the eggnog down, get out, uh, get out the dry erase and uh, join in. There's actually just a a couple of things, right, that this article kind of puts forth as a way that we can adjust our schema to intake this new information and ultimately to train ourselves to be more open-minded, Reed. Let's talk about those four things. We're kind of grounded a little bit and we could write them right next to our uh, Venn diagram on the whiteboard. That's right. First one is to talk to a neutral party, which is probably good advice just in life about most everything. Sometimes being open to something new, they say, just requires talking through the situation with someone else. And I mean, this that's logical, right? We do it probably a little bit biased in the fact of like, we're going to do that with close friends or family or a trusted confidant. But, you know, we do it when we're looking for a new job or thinking about taking a new job, I should say, or, you know, should I do this or that? You know, a lot of career decisions, obviously, there's a lot of personal decisions through life, including things like marriage that you want to talk with someone that they're not ultimately affected by this decision that you're making. The second point is also probably a good life lesson, but it really applies to, to being more open-mindedness. Reframe your negative thoughts, because sometimes hearing a new idea will cause you to kind of jump to that negative conclusion. Like, that'll never work. We've always done it this other way. We, why would we do it this way? Those negative predictions tend to turn into self-fulfilling prophecies. If you have exaggeratedly negative thoughts... They might prevent you from going positively in a new open-minded way to think about a problem in a different way. The third one here, uh, get out of your comfort zone. So another way they say to be more open-minded is to uh, add experiences that are a little outside the norm, outside of your schema, if you will. You always hear people talking about getting out of your comfort zone. So they talk about things as simple as like listening to different music or going to different types of movies etc. Try new food. You know, if I think about like what I'm trying to do and learn, I, again, it's very easy to just lean into the marketing communications world and just focus in there. I think that's where podcasting has really played a big role. And even our network, to be perfectly honest, listening to some of these other shows on our network that you know, are hosted by people who are not marketing communication folks is pretty interesting. And it kind of opens up my eyes to some things. Obviously, there's other shows out there like Freakonomics, Radio Lab, Reply All, all these that are kind of analogous to the world in which we live, but they're they're different in nature. And and so that kind of gets you thinking in a little bit of a different way. So if you talk to a neutral party and then you reframe your negative thoughts and then you get out of your comfort zone, the last and fourth most important step towards becoming more open-minded is to practice mindful meditation. Now we're getting really kind of out there. Oh, Reed. boy. The author actually indicates you should incorporate mindful meditation into your daily ritual. Mindfulness meditation is becoming well-known for its ability to open our minds to new ideas while letting go of old ones. And really, it's not necessarily where you sit down and you chant and you know and you, you breathe deeply, although that does help. It says really focus on a single point of focus, such as your breath, to slow your pace of your mind, and then gradually expand the focus to take in a broader spectrum of sensory information. This is backed up by science, Reed. Researchers have discovered that your brain actually begins to function differently as a result of doing mindful meditation. Okay. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. This is, this is the reason I get to work as early as I do because of, you know, when I get here, I'm one, maybe one of two people here in the building. It allows me uh, that, that stillness, that quietness, I actually, you know, read a little bit of the Bible, maybe do a little bit of studying, you know, that kind of thing. And it allows me to kind of level set for the day versus just go to sleep, looking at my phone, wake up, looking at my phone, you know, that, that, that kind of thing, you know, so it, it allows me to reset, if you will, even exercise can kind of fold in quite honestly. Now, I think we're a wellness podcast now all of a sudden, but 
Um, anyway, we, we have to change our categorization. <laughs> well, I think you're right. The exercising is a, is a great point, Reed. I, I know a lot of people, myself included, that find meditation through physical exertion. Runners or working out, lifting weights, whatever it might be, it will allow you to become more focused on the activity at hand to allow your brain to, it, it's kind of counterintuitive. If you focus on one thing like this meditative, whatever it might be, it actually allows your brain to expand and become richer and then take new thoughts and ideas. Well, there you go. Okay, we promised this would be a different themed podcast. Let's end with another article, The Art and Science of Open-Mindedness. And in here, there are three other things that you could do to actually kind of level set. If you've done those four that we've talked about, here are three more things that you can start to do that will really allow you to hone your open-mindedness. You ready for it? I'm ready. The first one is ditch the backfire reflex and your confirmation bias. You mentioned this before, Reed, confirmation bias. What they're talking about here is adopt a falsification mindset, which involves taking the attitude that you're attempting to find evidence that conflicts with your strongly held beliefs. You're actively finding things that are against the way you think in order to have a mind-opening experience. The confirmation bias thing is huge as it relates to all this, you know, because it informs ultimately what our decision making is in a lot of cases. The second one, develop a healthy relationship between your identity and your beliefs. So people's beliefs about the topic are uh, tied closely to their conception of, you know, people uh, who they are. I mean, the politics is the easy one here. People, because of uh, beliefs, uh, whether that be historical, spiritual, moral, ethical, whatever, kind of however you want to define some of that stuff, you know, that then informs kind of their day-to-day beliefs in a lot of cases. The main point here is develop that healthy relationship. Your identity is not tied to those belief systems. And sometimes you're confronted with a new belief that doesn't meet your schema and you have to develop sort of that open mindset and you could do that without abandoning your identity. Mm -hmm. A simple thing is like, you know, opening your mind up to new religions or to new political ideas or concepts. And in our case, to new ways to do things, abandoning that we've always done it this way mantra. And it's safe to do that while still being true to who you are. The last one is the one that I found most interesting Abandon the lust for expertise. When you regard yourself as an expert at something, you tend to have a large body of knowledge that you take for granted. You ask fewer questions. It's because you think you know what you're doing and you ask fewer questions and you do things differently. Well, guess what? They say, abandon that. Don't consider yourself an expert. Always be learning. Mm, That's problematic for my day-to-day <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, what, what else am I selling if I'm not selling my expertise? No, no, but I think that is a really good point. And I think that is, it's a fine line, though, because I can just get lost in the learning aspect of this, right? And not bringing stuff to conclusion. But I think the concept is right. Don't always try to be the smartest person in the room. It's good to have other people with expertise that you don't have around you. I think that's where you find success. I think organizations that just build a culture of just everyone's the same, it's limiting at best in those cases. It certainly is. And that leads very nicely to this interview, this uh, special interview that I did a couple months ago, Reed, with Stephen Magling from Haley Sue, where I, I actually went up, I drove up north of the Twin Cities, even went even further closer to Canada, to Duluth, Minnesota, to attend a conference that he was holding. It wasn't really a conference. It was more of a what they call it the Believe in Better Project. And they talk about different aspects of healthcare and different ways people are looking at this crazy industry that we work in and trying to solve problems in different, unique, creative ways. And so we had a chance to sit down and talk about it. This is the chance now. This is, I guess, your second eggnog break in the episode. Grab that third uh, cup, sit back and listen to me and Stephen talking about the Believe in Better project. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today I am talking to my good friend, Stephen, 
Welcome to the show. Thank it's you. always weird. I always want to call you Steve, but Steven is really like how you prefer to be called, right? Yes. Okay. Thank you for that. Remembering that, Chris. I, I do. <laughs> I remember that. You know, I'm, I'm casual. I'm a Christopher, but, you know, I like to be called Chris. So depends. Anyway, Steven, you've been on the show before, but uh, others who um, may not have heard that original interview, they need to pause right now and go back and listen to it. But if you could, um, can you give them a little bit of introduction about yourself and kind of uh, your history? Yeah. So it's Steven with a PH, Makling. That's a weird, funky German last name. Looks like Mokling, pronounced Makling. I am Senior Vice President of Growth for Haley Sue, which is a healthcare marketing firm based out of Minnesota. I office out of Richmond, Virginia, which has been my home for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you and I got to know each other back there in Richmond, Virginia, and now I'm here in Minnesota. And I actually drove up to Duluth, which is about two and a half hour drive from where I live, to participate in something today, which we're going to be talking about. But before we do talk about that, uh, let's talk a little bit about Haley Sue um, and and what what you do there and and what what the company is about. As Senior Vice President of Growth, my mission is to help the company with growth innovation. So as our firm has really specialized in healthcare for probably the last 20, 30 years, obviously, as you know, as best as anybody, Chris, Lots of changes in healthcare and lots of changes for what it means to be a brand, how to connect with the consumer. And so our agency has been constantly looking at, well, how do we innovate? How do we transcend the traditional agency model to help a brand in for today and for tomorrow? So I've been looking with the firm for the last several years since I started at what it means to be an agency now, mm-hmm. as opposed to 20, 30 years from ago. And so that's really the, the, the kind of the impetus behind what I do at Haley Sue. Mm-hmm. And part of that, what what you're doing, actually leads us to where we're at today yeah. and why I, I actually made the drive up from the Twin Cities. So let's talk a little bit about um, what I just you know participated in. Right. Day. Yeah. So believe in better project. Yeah. Yeah. So a two day conference, eight speakers, uh, change agents, radical visionaries, people who are really breaking the paradigm of healthcare. Mm-hmm with the basic premise that I think we can all agree, healthcare in many ways is broken. And who's fixing it? Who's bringing new ideas to the table? And that's really what the conference is about. So we have worked across, I was gonna say across the national level, but we actually have speakers from the international coming internationally this time to really talk about what they're doing that's making healthcare better. Uh, New ways to reduce the cost of healthcare, better access. Uh, better treatment, appealing to even things like the fundamental emotions involved in the healthcare journey. And you've participated, you you saw it felt like a TED conference. So we had these really gorgeous 30-minute big anthem speeches followed up by 30 minutes of Mm Q&A, which for me has been, I think, as exciting as the speech itself. Right, and so this year I saw a a, a brief, you know, I've only been able to participate in one day, but I saw a wide spectrum of, of dialogue and conversations in various different areas. This is now your second year, so talk a little bit about like what are some of the topics that you've covered over the last two years. This year we put a lot of focus on day one on patient experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at, at the end of the day, what are we here for if not for the patient? Mm-hmm. So we had innovators in patient experience, we had innovators who are leading cultural transformation to address physician and caregiver burnout and at the same time making sure that that patient experience of quality and safety uh, reaches a much higher level than today's standard. Uh, We've had, uh, just had a gentleman finish up a speech on trends in cannabis in healthcare. Right. (laughs) And and what's here and what's coming and some just mind-blowing facts about uh, how different states, pharmaceutical companies and legislation are really impacting cannabis use. Uh, We had a physician talk about emotional healing, uh, going back through ancestral healing of disease states like cancer. Mm -hmm. So uh, really kind of a radical profile of different topics that are really designed to kind of push the envelope. And one thing I'll just add, Chris, in those Q&As, there's been some pretty heated back and forth in the best possible way, because we are really encouraging a kind of an open dialogue that you usually don't get to see too often in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. So this is really our platform for that. Yeah, I really felt that too, right? Um, and, and I participated in the Q&A sessions because there, there is some really interesting 
things that that you know that it seems like they were they were introducing some controversial ideas or or innovative ideas that could be a, a interchangeable word depending right. on what perspective you're in, but that that conversation typically does not happen within hospitals health systems, and um, and and one of the things that I realized too is that. Um, much of this is driving innovation and driving change from various different vantage points. Is that kind of the theme that you're overall kind of capturing by this? I mean, believe in better implies there is a better innovative way, right? That's right. That's right. And, you know, for an ad agency to be hosting a conference like this seems kind of contrary. It's like, yeah. well, what, aren't you talking about marketing? Not, not really, not necessarily. Um, for us, the idea of the innovation curve has to be about an exchange of different concepts. And for us to be able to push the envelope of innovating marketing, mm -hmm. really it has to start with what is innovative today in healthcare? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the trends? Who are the solution seekers out there? And ultimately how a company like Haley Sue could then lead that innovation charge based on the communications platform. So, and when you when you talk about driving innovation in care, and one, and one of the speakers today, I actually brought it up. They they had their uh, they had a three way approach, right, mm -hmm. of how they're trying to drive change. And one of them was around patient experience, and one of them was around reducing costs, and then the next was about uh, developing a better integrated care delivery. And I think that in every uh, that, that's probably a common theme, right? Mm -hmm. That we're trying to address a very complex problem, which is how healthcare is broke. Right, right? right, and we're trying to do it in many different ways. And I asked, and I posited that you know, is is the patient, the patient experience, ultimately driving that change? What are your thoughts on that? I love it. I think for I love it because I think like where do we begin, mm -hmm. and do we begin with the end in mind, which in healthcare is ultimately the patient. And for us as an agency, the way we think about uh, our solutions is really. How much do we know about the audience that we're really trying to serve mm -hmm. and how deeply felt can we be in that experience? Mm -hmm. So yes, what does, the, what does that patient experience look like? What does the communication, what does the patient need? And day one, Nick Dawson, who you know, mm -hmm. coming from Kaiser, is telling stories about uh, his mandate, his moral mandate, as he calls it, of co-creating healthcare with the patient too. Mm -hmm. So it's not just how do we create a better experience for the patient, but how does the patient be involved in the creation of that care journey? Right. Yeah, I think that's that's it's incredibly powerful and it also opens up so much complexity <laughs> because you know, and and many times we look at it as like in a very much um, you know, a, a very small part of the the interactions that we have with our patients um, when we're when we're delivering care, we think about mapping out, let's say, you know, a journey of making uh, access to to primary care that much simpler. It's a very small segment, right? And yeah. it only really addresses one small part of the way our patients are potentially interacting with us as larger health systems. So um, I guess, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, they right. say, right, that if you put the patient front and center or the customer front and center in the design that you're doing, that suddenly you're introducing all of these additional complexities. So tell me a little bit about, from your perspective, your thoughts on that, and then like ways that, that organizations that maybe get locked in the paralysis of trying to address the complexity of a, of a patient-centered design. Right. How, how to walk them through that? Well, at the risk of sounding too simple, okay. I, like, I do like to start with the simple. First is, are we working on the right problems? Mm. And quite often, it's very easy, and I appreciate this now. I've worked with hospitals and health systems for over 20 years. I get the fact that in the course of the day-to-day, -day, it's easy to lose sight of the, of the goal when so many of the people involved in the solution aren't the people that we're trying to solve for. So I always like to take the step back and say, we're working on the right things. So yes, we can address a better communications platform. Yes, we can do a better user experience, but to what end? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the solution state does come from how many different constituents or stakeholders can we involve who are bringing vastly different perspectives mm -hmm. and kind of leading from that, that perspective. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. But it, but the important thing is um, when you're doing that, as the earlier example you gave with, with Nick, is that you want to have make sure that the most important person is being represented there, which is that individual, that the patient, the the customer, or what have mm-hmm. you. Is that is that right? Yeah. And, and earlier, Chris, we had a really interesting dialogue about one of the speakers was talking about shame, and you had raised a very good point after the speech, which was like, as marketers, are we leveraging the shame button a little bit too much, right? Because classic marketing is about pain versus gain and, you know, and, and trying to be sensitive to that. Are we, are we doing the right thing? Because technically we could get the result that our stakeholders want. Sometimes it's new patient acquisition, whatever that case is, but are we doing it in the authentic ways? And in your work and practice looking at patient journeys, mm-hmm. right? Well, sometimes that patient journey, our constituents want that patient journey to be shorter, quicker, to the point. Of Let's course. get them in the door. We yeah. can help them today, mm-hmm. you know, same day appointment. But maybe our care model, if we follow the true mission of our organizations, really comes down to doing what's best for the patient. Sometimes doing what's best is giving the patient time to make better informed decisions over a period of time and as through content through other strategies providing those valuable resources so even looking at again are we working on the right problems are we serving the mission are we making short-term decisions for long-term gains or losses really that's interesting to hear, and, and no offense to you, but you're in an agency. I know. <laughs> Stop talking like that. It's not like agency talk, right? This sounds like something that, that is, is like much more higher, much more holistic. I think that's what this Believe in Better project is really trying to reinforce, but um, is that a principle that you then carry forward? How do you carry that forward? Right. I'm glad you brought that up, because the catalyst for Believe in Better comes principally from the agency, our agency's mission, which is to create a healthier world, which is really comes from one of the two owners, Marsha Highstead, and really leveraging that, that deep-rooted belief that we want to create a healthier world. Well, we're an ad agency. Yeah. So how do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, we can start by working with organizations who have that mission. That's why we are healthcare-focused. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, we're still an agency. So we're still driving click-throughs and conversions. All right, so that's good. But to really affect change, we wanted to engage and have these deeper conversations. And so that's really the the goal of the project in this conference. Right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great conference, I have to say. It definitely was worth the drive up, and uh, if it was in a different state, I would also come consider that. Love hearing you say that. But, but, you know, the the thing, though, is is that as I'm sitting here today, right, it's like that struggle of of balancing doing what's the right thing and doing, you know, doing the the higher project or the higher calling and doing what you need to do. And that's something that we all struggle with as professionals. Yeah. Not just on the agency side. I I struggle with that on the inside as well, right? Um, I I, I could optimize the the patient flow so that I do, you know, can, can ensure that people are making those click-throughs very quickly but is that the right thing to do and how do you balance that do you have any advice or thoughts for people listening in well i don't know if i have advice but i do have some thoughts because i empathize with those working in healthcare today whether it's in a caregiver environment administration marketing communications on down the line it's a very stressful job and if you just do your job you've 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 blown your day Right? There's no time in the day left by simply just doing what you have to get done. This conference and the philosophy behind Believe in Better encourages our audiences to say, hey, spend two days with us one time out of the year just to get away, just to get a better perspective so that maybe you can come back more energized, re-inspired, reawakened to your calling because I think anybody who works in healthcare has a calling, and it's easy to get obscured by the stress, the fire drills, and sometimes the sheer chaos of what it's like to work in healthcare. So we have to take a step back. We do. We have to get reacquainted with our goal. It's almost like refueling yourself, and I certainly feel that today. You know, and, I, and again, I've only participated in half the conference, but it's it's it it suddenly has given me a whole new 
hope and perspective, which is something that often we are not incented to do. Rena and I have talked about this before, right? It's like we're so busy. We got the meetings, we got the things, we got to launch the websites, we got to do this. When we get down, caught into the grind, and and I almost wonder, and, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this because uh, a lot of times we in healthcare we're trying to aspire to be as um, consumer first and as driven as other industries, mm. and I almost wonder if that in if that's kind of a false reading of how we should be doing it. Uh, if being consumer first uh, is really the right way, because I, I'm I, I'm not sure if the people that work at Amazon actually are um, considering their customer the way that we in healthcare consider the higher calling of serving mm, our customers. That's a great. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting you mentioned Amazon because I don't know if it's an urban myth or not, but I'd heard the story that in every meeting at Amazon, there's always an empty chair. Have you heard the story? No. I don't know if it's an urban myth or not, but I've read it many times. There's always an empty chair in every meeting, and that chair represents the customer. Mm. So every decision has to be made with the respect to, is this good for the customer or not? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if that story is true or not, but it really was inspiring to me. But you do raise an interesting thread. Maybe you can talk more about it because it's like the higher calling of the consumer, right? So that that's pretty heady stuff, right? How do you butt up against thinking about that when when you have these other priorities, which are technically all about the audience as well, and yet it's very easy in my opinion, to forget the mission in response to what's on your calendar that day. Mm -hmm. And if you forget the mission in response to your calendar and the back-to-back -back meetings and the two to 300, sometimes 400 emails my clients get a day, well, it's easy to, to lose sight of the goal. Right. And so how, and taking that step back and asking those questions and being intentional about it. It's almost like we, as professionals in the industry, we have to put uh, a picture of our customer, similar mm. to how Amazon has that empty chair. Yeah. We have to have that right there at our desk or right there, right next to our computer to kind of remind ourselves that that's kind of who we're serving, mm. right? Um, that our, our customer, our, our um, patients, or uh, as I've heard it said, I'm doing some co-production work, the individual formerly known as patient, right? <laughs> so the TIF cap, right? Um, that's that's kind of a lexicon that they use uh, to remind ourselves that's the most important thing. Yeah. Well, I started my career as a writer, and I, I studied great writers like Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut said that the secret to, to a lifetime of enjoyable writing is to write to one person. Mm. That if you're going to write a letter to your sweetheart, it's going to sound vastly different than writing that same letter to your mother. Sure. So your idea of like having that little mental picture of your audience, that to me sometimes is, is how we return to what is authentic to our work and our work's purpose. Because everybody who works in healthcare has a story of how they have helped people, one way or another. And it's easy to forget those stories. So how do you take moments each day, and this is the process that I use in my work, every day, what am I working on? truly not my assignment but what is that goal right. what am i really here to do and how to serve and i think that's a way to bring balance back despite the uh sometimes banana schedules that we have to right. keep and it's it's very taoist to think about it in this way is that that individual can actually reflect the larger greater purpose of us being in healthcare. but that's almost how i think about it the more you narrow in on that individual patient that you're serving um, and that, you know, that personification is not necessarily reflective of our complex patient set, but still, which leads us back to the Believe in Better project, right. right? because that's the reinforcement here. I know that you have a website for this, this project where, where people who may not have had the chance to, to attend can maybe learn a little bit more about it. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Sure, believeinbetterproject.com. And go there now, you're gonna see last year's videos. We've done incredible video work of all the speakers in the Q&A. We're gonna be publishing all the videos from this year's uh, within the next probably four to six weeks. And we, taking a cue from some of the amazing conglomerate podcasts that you and Reed do, <laughs> uh, have a, a Believe in Better Project podcast as well. Yeah. 
And that's just a starting point for us. Um, ironically, being an ad agency, we're hosting an unmarketing conference, um, and we're, we're finding a way to get all this work done because we just think it's that valuable to yeah. continue these conversations. It sure is, and it's totally worth it. Go out to the website, enjoy that, and subscribe to the podcast, which I have as well. So, you know, it's my second favorite healthcare podcast. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> Stephen, if people want to know a little bit more about you and reach out to you online, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so HaleySue.com, and I should probably spell that H-A-I-L-E-Y. Sue is from Sue France, Marsha Heistead's favorite place on earth, so that's S-A-U-L-T.com. Okay, well, we'll put the links in the show notes. Okay. We'll also link to your LinkedIn and your Twitter and Haley Sue's Twitter. Um, really great stuff that you're doing, and I thank you again for uh, pointing this out to me letting me know. And I encourage everybody listening in to go check it out and reach out to you and learn more. Wow. Appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Thank you. Special thanks to uh, Stephen. It's always great to see him annually uh, at a couple of these different conferences. And it was fun to have him on the show. So appreciate his time there. Let's wrap this up so everybody can get back to their families. <laughs> like, like they've stuck around <laughs> all the way to the end. But a couple of recommendations before we get out of here. What do you, what do you got? Reed, it's, since it's the holiday season, and this is probably one of the, my most favorite holidays to celebrate all year round, next to my birthday, of course. Kidding. Christmas is definitely the, the one of the, <laughs> the, the thing that really brings together family and friends. I'm going to recommend a holiday tradition, something that I try to do every year around this time of the year. I come from a German background. My mother's German. And so she taught me a lot of different things. Well, one of the things that she taught me how to do is bake really good, fantastic German Christmas cookies. And this year I was able to bake some German hazelnut butter cookies with the inside with rosehip jam. And they're just delicious. So it's kind of a weird roundabout way to say around this time of year when you're with friends and families, just take some time out of your day and bake cookies. And if you want that special recipe for that German hazelnut butter sandwich cookie, just reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to send it to you via, you know, whatever social channel you connect with me on. But just bake cookies. That's my recommendation this year. There you go. Well, my recommendation is going to go with yours nicely. Uh, I'm recommending uh, peppermint tea. Ooh, that sounds like holiday, right? It does. We have some here in the office. I've had a cup or two and I don't know, it's kind of refreshing in a weird way uh, as well. But I've tried to cut back on the amount of coffee I drink, like in how far into the day I drink it. And so uh, if I want something warm, especially uh, later in the day or certainly after lunch, tea is kind of a nice option. And peppermint is, uh, is kind of nice. So that's my recommendation, peppermint tea. I might have to mail you some Christmas cookies for you to dip into your peppermint tea. Yeah, well, there you go. That would be great. Well, awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for uh, being supportive of uh, Touchpoint, not only Touchpoint the podcast, but Touchpoint Media, the network of shows. Touchpoint.health is the website. He's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.